Well, greetings this morning to all in Jesus' name. It was a good, good word so far. Good morning. May, may the Lord be praised. Let's begin with prayer this morning. Dear God in heaven, we come to you this morning in Jesus' name. And we thank you for the good word that we heard already. And Lord, we pray for your, for your grace and for your spirit to be here, Lord, in this next part of the service as uh, endeavor to bring this message from, from you, Lord, and that which you laid on my heart. God, I pray for strength and grace and humility to speak these words, these, this, this truth in love, Lord. Lord, bless each one of us here. God, let your Holy Spirit have its own way in all of our hearts today, Lord. Thank you for the body of Christ. Thank you for the children of God, people of God, the world over, Lord. We pray for them this morning. We lift them up to you, God wherever they're uh, gathering together to uh, worship and minister. Lord, we pray for your, your blessing to be upon your children, God, and that your uh, Holy Spirit would work in each life and each heart, Lord. Thank you that you're alive, Lord. Thank you for the word that is alive and living word, the living word of God. It quickens us, it blesses us, it strengthens us, Lord. It convicts us, it ministers to us, Lord. We pray these things in Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Well, it's with a bit of a heavy heart that I introduce the the message this morning, but I did feel clear to go ahead and speak on this topic a bit this morning. Um, I thought of the, uh, the words that we uh, have committed, are committing to memory there in Peter where it says that but if he which is called you is holy, so be ye holy in all manner of conversation. Because it is written, be ye holy, for I am holy. And also, Peter, a little later, talks about Christians. He says here in First Peter 4, but let none of you suffer as a murderer, as a thief, as an evildoer, as a busybody in other men's matters. Yet if any man suffer as a Christian, let him not be ashamed, but let him glorify God on this behalf, for the time has come that judgment must begin at the house of God. And if it first begin at us, what shall the end be of them that obey not the gospel of God? 
And if the righteous scarcely be saved, where shall the ungodly and the sinner appear? Wherefore, let them that suffer according to the will of God commit the keeping of their souls to him in well-doing as unto a faithful creator. And what I'd like for us to notice here is that as Christians... We should, Peter says, let none of you suffer as a murderer or a thief or an evildoer. And then also, in Peter, uh, in Ephesians, Paul told them, Be ye therefore followers of God as dear children. Walk in love as Christ also hath loved us and given himself for us, an offering and a sacrifice to God for a sweet-smelling savor. But fornication and all uncleanness and covetousness, let it not be once named among you as becometh saints. So we sit here this morning, many of us, maybe not everyone, has been made aware of of the uh, grievous sin in among the CAM staff there. But we sit here in shock and disbelief as we come to grip with the magnitude and the far-reaching effect of this horrendous sin that has been committed by a professing Christian. Yea, even by one from among our fellowship of churches. And I don't plan this morning to say much about this particular case. For a couple of reasons. The facts are too unverified yet, maybe, and sketchy. And another probably just wouldn't be appropriate in a setting like this. However, I do feel it's an opportune time for us while our hearts are just in, in disbelief and shock to teach from the scriptures the badness of sin. It's bad. <clears throat> I know it's Father's Day, and it would be nice to speak about being something very encouraging to the fathers, but as I thought about this, uh, I thought the best gift we can give to our families as fathers is to be a humble, pure Broken, open, honest father before our families. Amen, brothers. Yeah, not sure if I can get through this all.
bear with me. I don't plan to speak much this morning about uh, God's, God's mercy and forgiveness of sin. I believe that. You know very clearly what we believe and teach on that. But just for the sake of the uh, <clears throat> seriousness of sin. Yeah, just choose to talk about that. The badness of sin. <clears throat> Number one, what is sin? The simple and quick definition is sin is disobedience to God. To disobey God is to sin. <clears throat> Peter said these types of sin, uncleanness, should never be named among the saints. <clears throat> yes. <clears throat> Sin is disobedience to God. Jude says that the angels which kept not their first estate, but left their own habitation, he hath reserved in everlasting chains under darkness unto judgment of the great day. There we see the seriousness that when even the angels which were in the presence of God rebelled and, and left their designated place, their own habitation, God, Jesus, uh, P- Peter gives the account that God casts them down to hell. And Jesus says that in Luke 10, that he's, he beheld Satan as lightning fall from heaven. So we see God takes it very, very serious when people sin. I believe especially so when it's when it's angels or Christians. <clears throat> we read in Romans 15, uh, Romans 5, 19, the first part of the verse, it says, for by one man's disobedience, Many were made sinners. Disobedience is sin. And we know that he's talking about Adam there. By one man's disobedience, many were made sinners. Number two, the magnitude of sin. 
Romans 5.12 says, Wherefore, as by one man sin entered into the world, and death by sin, and so death passed upon all men, for that all have sinned. When an individual sins, the suffering is not alone. Others suffer. For Adam, death passed upon all men. Just ponder that for a, in your mind. The magnitude of Adam's sin. One man's sin, for by, as by one man sin entered into the world, and death by sin, and so death passed upon all men, for that all have sinned. It's just tremendous, staggering, how far-reaching sin goes. When an individual sins, the suffering is not alone. There's parents, spouse, children, brethren, victims, etc. that suffer when, when Christians sin. Professing Christians. And I'll make a a larger point of this later on, but the testimony and name of God is blasphemed when people sin. It's tremendous. Number three, the record of sin. I'd just like to give a short, brief record, far from exhaustive. We couldn't near get through. In fact, I thought the word sin is so small, three letters, but I believe I would be safe to say I stand to be corrected, but the subject of sin probably is the largest subject in the Bible. Whether it's the effects of sin, the origin of sin, the remedy of sin, so much of the Bible has to do with sin. But let me just give you a brief record of sin. Adam, because of his disobedience, he was not deceived. It says the woman was deceived, but Adam was not. But Adam loses fellowship with God because of his sin. It's different. It's sin. Cain kills Abel because sin laid at his door. The first murderer. By the time of the flood, there was only eight obedient souls left in the earth. Because of sin. In in Abram's day, God rained fire and brimstone out of heaven upon Sodom because of their exceedingly great sin. All of Israel who saw God's power in Egypt saw the miracles because of the sin of unbelief did not enter the promised land save two, Caleb and Joshua. Joshua. 
Jeremiah was known as a weeping prophet because of the sins of his people. He said, oh, that my head were waters and my eyes a fountain of tears, that I might weep day and night for the, for the slain of the daughter of my people. Most of the minor prophets begin their their book from Joel to Malachi with a blazing message of judgment from God for sin. John the Baptist preached, repent from and confess your sins. Jesus forgave sin and said, go and sin no more. In one case, he said, lest a a greater, how did he say it? Lest a greater evil come upon you. Sin slew Ananias and Sapphira. Romans 6.23, for the wages of sin is death. Why do people sin? Why do people sin? People that know the results of sin... People that know the wages of sin, the consequences of sin, why do people sin? Sinners sin because it's in their nature. It's passed on to them from Adam, Romans 5.12. Sinners are under the dominion of sin, Romans 6.9. What about Christians? They have a new nature. John says, he would not that we sin. My little children, I would that you sin not. Why do Christians sin? Well, there's a couple reasons. Because sin is deceitful is one reason. And through the deceitfulness of sin, Christians can get hard hearts or calloused hearts and end up sinning. It's very serious. The Hebrew writer tells us to exhort one another daily while it is called today, lest any of you be hardened through the deceitfulness of sin. Another reason is because sin has a a short season of pleasure and but there's always a price that comes with it always listen there's always a price that comes with sin Moses chose to not take the pleasures of sin for a season but rather to suffer affliction with the people of God Job said, the triumphing of the wicked is short, 
and the joy of the hypocrite is but for a moment. But that's why some people sin, because they get enticed and it looks pleasurable. And Christians, professing Christians, fall into that. I'd like for us to think briefly about the depravity of our own hearts. Brothers and sisters here this morning. I don't think that we, because of this, I don't think we need to be all suspicious of each other and all distrusting and no one can trust each other anymore. I don't think that. But brothers and sisters, we need not bury our head in the sand either. These things are never fun to talk about, especially when sin has matured, if I can say it that way, to such an extent. That's not a good choice of words. When sin has, has, has gone so, so far. And so we sit here this morning, not as, one, not as, as those that should, like I said, be, be suspicious and, and mistrusting of each other. But I think it's very, very, very important that we all look honestly at the depravity of our own hearts. And if we're honest, we know that our hearts are deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. As Jeremiah the prophet said in 17.9, Jeremiah. And because of that, brothers and sisters, it should cause us to fear. And to flee sin. Someone said this. We are capable of every sin that we see our neighbor commit. Unless God's grace restrains us. Well I agree with that. I think more needs to be added to that. It really does. I will add to that. That we also need along with that an active, loving brotherhood speaking and exhorting each other daily. I believe that. That's, that's what the Bible says. God may use you or me to restrain you from sinning. He may use you or me, each other, to restrain when there's a strong temptation and all it, all it takes is someone to ask and care enough. How are you doing in the area of, of uh, moral, moral issues? That's our God-given responsibility. Number six, never make excuses for sin. Man calls sin by many different names. Man calls sin an accident, a slip, a mistake, but God calls it an abomination. Number seven, never make light of sin. Never laugh about sin. 
Some might even call it fascination, but God calls it a fatality. God cannot tolerate sin. He has not changed in his view of sin. Why do men hide sin and have unconfessed sin? Number eight, why do men hide sin and have unconfessed sin? First, sin is shameful. And therefore, men procrastinate and hide it for years. Sin is painful. The price of sin is big, Brother Luke. It's not cheap. I can use your opening illustration here a little bit. The price of sin is big. Sin is painful. Just imagine all the tears, all the confusion, all the sleepless nights, all the turmoil, all the blasphemy. That sin has brought, even in this most recent situation. Sin is costly, so terrible, terrible, costly. And so men hide sin and think they can get by with it. But the truth of the matter is first, they who hide sin will not prosper, spiritually speaking. The Lord will bring all the hidden things of darkness to light in the day of judgment. They'll all come out. And as shameful and as painful and as destructive and as costly as it is, it is better to confess and get get sins out beforehand and find forgiveness with God and and send those sins beforehand to the judgment than to have it covered and have all those sins follow us to the judgment and there be brought to light before God. Number nine. Sin needs to be repented of and confessed before man and God, particularly if anyone was involved. But even so, if you want to get really free from binding sin, you need to confess it before men as well. First John 1. <clears throat> Maybe we'll read that, First John 1, verse 5 through 9. This then is the message which we have heard of him and declare unto you that God is light and in him is no darkness at all. Be not deceived, brothers. Let's not be deceived. God will not be mocked. Whatsoever a man soweth, that shall he also reap. This is the message which we have heard of him, verse 5 of chapter, verse 1 John, chapter 1. 
which we have heard of him and declare unto you that God is light and in him is no darkness at all. If we say that we have fellowship with him and walk in darkness, we lie and do not the truth. But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another and the blood of Jesus Christ, his son, cleanses us from all sin. If we say that we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. If we say, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If we say that we have not sinned, we make him a liar and his word is not in us. The seriousness of unconfessed sins. Number 10. Examination of our hearts with the scriptures. Turn with me to Romans chapter 2. This is just an appeal from this, from this, with the scriptures to our hearts. And I call this the sin of hypocrisy or irregularity. Basically saying one thing and doing another. Sins that Christians can, can easily fall into. Romans 2, verse 12. Well, let's start at verse 11. For there is no respect of persons with God. For as many as have sinned without the law shall also perish without the law. And as many as have sinned in the law shall be judged by the law. For not the hearers of the law are just before God, but the doers of the law shall be justified. For when the Gentiles, which have not the law, do by nature the things contained in the law, these, having not the law, are a law unto themselves which show the work of the law written in their hearts, their conscience also bearing witness, and their thoughts the meanwhile accusing or else excusing one another. In the day when God shall judge the secrets of men by Jesus Christ according to my gospel, behold, thou art called a Jew and restest in the law, and makest thy boast of God. And let's consider that thou art a Christian. And we are living up to, we have a name to live up to, Christ. Like Peter said, be ye holy, because I am holy. Without holiness, no man shall see the Lord. Thou art called a Jew, verse 17 and resteth in the law, and makest thy boast of God. I'm a Jew, I'm a Christian. And knowest his will, and approvest the things that are more excellent, being instructed out of the law, as Christians, being instructed out of the scriptures, knowing the things that are more excellent. Verse 19, and art confident that thou thyself art a guide to the blind, and a light of them which are in darkness. An instructor of the foolish, 
and a teacher of babes, which has the form of knowledge and of the truth in the law. Verse 21, Thou therefore which teachest another, teachest thou not thyself? Thou that preaches a man should not steal, dost thou steal? Thou that sayest a man should not commit adultery, dost thou commit adultery? And we know the standard is, is higher in the New Testament. Jesus raised that standard. Thou that abhorrest idols, dost thou commit sacrilege? Thou that makest thy boast of the law through breaking the law, dishonorest thou God? For the name of God is blasphemed among the Gentiles through you, as it is written. For circumcision verily profiteth if thou keep the law, but if thou be a breaker of the law, thy circumcision is made uncircumcision. Therefore, if the uncircumcision keep the righteousness of the law, shall not his uncircumcision be counted for circumcision? See, God looks at the heart of the matter. And shall not uncircumcision, which is by nature, if it fulfill the law, judge thee, who by the letter and circumcision does transgress the law? For he is not a Jew, which is one outwardly, neither is that circumcision, which is outward in the flesh. But he is a Jew, which is one inwardly. And circumcision is that of the heart, in the spirit, and not in the letter, whose praise is not of men, but of God. Examination of our hearts from, this, from the scriptures. Number two, the sin of Christians giving the enemy cause to blaspheme. And we read one of those here in verse 24. It says, the name of God is blasphemed among the Gentiles through you. And I think that's why Peter said these, these sins should never once be named among us. We should never make room, allowance for sin in any way, shape, or form. We have another one in Titus very clearly. Probably all know that one. It says that, talking about the, the women, young women. Verse 5, Titus 2, verse 5, to be discreet, chaste, keepers at home, good, obedient to their own husbands, that the word of God be not blasphemed. What happens when women, Christian women, very specifically here, step out of their place, and give evidence to those that know them that they are not obedient to their husband. The world is like whatever. And they blaspheme the word of God. 
very, very serious thing for us to consider. <clears throat> Number three, the sin of, of dishonor. 1 Timothy 6. You want to go there? 1 Timothy 6. Verse 1, let as many servants as are under the yoke count their own masters worthy of all honor that the name of God and his doctrine be not blasphemed. And so what this looks like is it looks like you have Christian employees or servants in this case working for a non-Christian employer and in this case, dishonor their employer, their master. It's a sin before God and his, his name and his doctrine are blasphemed when that happens. First Peter 2.17 gives us another one. We'll read from 17 to 20. Honor all men, love the brotherhood, fear God, honor the king. Servants, be subject to your masters with all fear, not only to the good and gentle, but also to the froward. For this is thankworthy if a man for conscience sake, for conscience toward God endure grief, suffering wrongfully. For what glory is it if when ye be buffeted for your faults, ye shall take it patiently? But if when ye do well and suffer for it, ye take it patiently, this is acceptable with God, indicating that the other is not acceptable with God. Goes on to talk about Christ there and his example that he left for us. And the last point I have is just that of, of us, and I can't say enough, I don't think I can make too much of this point, but it's not going to be a very large, a long point, but, but it's so very important that we keep a tender conscience. Like we read, read there in the beginning, sin hardens the conscience if we neglect it. And... Slowly but surely, we lose our conscience towards sin. And we get used to it, and it, don't re- it should be repulsive to us. Sin should be repulsive. We are commanded to flee it and to not, uh, not uh, even be comfortable with the appearance of it, avoiding the appearance of sin even. That's how serious it is. Sins like we just heard of don't just, don't, don't just happen overnight. They start small. Somewhere there was a tender conscience that was hardened, I believe, and hardened. 
and hardened and pushed away and grieved to this point. I really, really believe that. So keeping a a tender conscience is a safeguard against sin. Romans 13, 5. If you want to read, uh, turn there, you can. Very, very important. Here he's talking about the powers that God put in place for, for, for law and order. And it says in verse 3 that they're not a terror to the good works, but to the evil. Do good and you will have praise of the same. He is a minister of God to thee for good. Verse 4, he beareth not his sword or in our day his revolver in vain. He will use it if he needs to, to keep law and order. He is a minister of God, a revenger to execute wrath upon him that doeth evil. Now, none of us would necessarily like the idea of getting shot. And so we, 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 we tend to sit up and say, okay, it's not worth it. I'll obey. But that's not the only reason we obey. And the next verse tells us why. We don't just obey because we don't want to get shot. But we also obey for conscience sake. Wherefore, you must needs be subject not only for wrath, but also for conscience sake. Conscience is a safeguard. We all look at Paul as a mighty man of God, and this was one thing he did. He said, I exercise myself to have always a conscience void of offense toward God and man. No little thing, brothers and sisters. No little thing. Paul was a mighty man of God, fought good fight, like almost probably like none None else. Where was the secret of his strength? This was one of them. He kept the conscience void of offense towards God. I have nothing to hide. Nothing. Nothing at all. I don't know if I can turn to this where I'm what I'm thinking. It was when Paul was before the council and he was accused of of something. I had read it yesterday, I didn't write it in my notes. I thought it was Acts twenty where he said if I can be convinced of wrong I'm not afraid to die yeah actually Acts, Acts 25 listen to his testimony then said Paul 
I stand at Caesar's judgment seat where I ought to be judged. To the Jews have I done no wrong, as thou knowest, as thou very well knowest. Acts 25.10. Now, now 11. For if I be an offender or have committed anything worthy of death, I refuse not to die. But if there be none of these things whereof they accuse me, no man may deliver me unto them. I appeal unto Caesar. So there we see just in the outworking of Paul so seriously keeping himself pure before God and, and, uh, and, and a conscience void of offense. Again, I will say to the fathers, the best gift we can give to our families, to, our, to the church body, is to be holy. Holy. Pure. Honest. Open. I had another one. Okay, I missed it, even putting it down. I think I ran out of time. And I know this, this message is far from being complete, but I thought of the, of the sin of... Of, uh, of offending little ones where Jesus made such a staggering judgment upon those where he said it were better that a millstone were hanged about the neck of one that would offend one of these little ones. Dearly beloved, let, let's Playing games is over. I, I can't imagine, I hope it is. You know, it's, it's hard to imagine what, what good could come out of something so bad as what just happened. But as I thought about that, I hope that at least all the rest of us are alerted, alarmed, and, and afresh and anew, fear God Hate sin like never before. And take the necessary means and, 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 and routes to stay pure before God. Because I don't believe we'll do it on our own. I do believe scripture is very clear that we need each other to, to speak into each other's lives and keep us on the straight and narrow road. I believe that. Fathers, mothers being keepers at home, this involves that. Being keepers at home. This man was a little boy one day. He grew up to be a predator. Where was the wall broken down? I don't know. But Timothy says that the mom should be keepers at home. And so let's let this thing work some good in us. That's my plea this morning. Because sin is so bad, so awful, so terrible. May God 
give the blessing. I think I'll let it at that.